Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. Praise the Lord. If you'll take your scriptures in hand and uh, turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy 6.12, and we're also going to be looking at Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. We're continuing our new series, Fight the Good Fight of Faith, and tonight's message is titled, No Man is an Island. No Man is an Island. I can't tell you how many times through the years I've heard it said, I don't have to belong to a church to be a Christian. People say, I can worship God just as well at home alone. And that statement can sometimes be a difficult challenge to refute because it happens to be partially true. And that's how the enemy likes to deceive, with partial truths. But the fact is that, as Keith Green used to say, sitting in a church won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's will make you a hamburger. And that's true. Nothing you join, nothing you attend, nothing you can do can make you a Christian. We become Christian by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. By doing that, we are forgiven, we are born again, and we're brought into right relationship with God. So then, what is the value of the church? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that the church is God's idea. Amen? It's not man's invention. It was God's creation, and it is God's intended means to help us to grow in our faith and hold fast to our salvation to the end. Now, we've been looking at the fact that we are engaged in a fight to maintain our faith and lay hold or, or continue to grip firmly eternal life. 2 Timothy 6.12 exhorts us to fight the good fight of faith for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many, ministry, many uh, witnesses. And so we've been learning to fight this good fight of faith. We've been learning how to engage in this battle successfully. And in the first message in the series, we talked about how this battle is a lifelong battle and we must fight in the power of the Spirit and through obedience to God's Word. In last week's message, we spoke about how we need to fight as an army, that no one goes to the battlefield by themselves, but we need to fight together and we need to fight for one another. If you missed either of those messages, you can go back to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page and you can watch them there. And tonight, we want to look at another passage that also helps to equip us to fight the good fight of faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And you know, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers who were facing severe persecution at that time. Many had lost their homes, their businesses, some had been in prison, some had been beaten, and some had even lost their life. And so they were wavering under this extreme persecution, under the pressure of this trial, and some were even abandoning their faith. And the book of Hebrews deals repeatedly with the need to cultivate perseverance in our faith. You 
know, we read in Hebrews 12, let us therefore run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And, and so there's this continual reminder that we need to hold fast to our faith, that we need to endure uh, uh, through trials. And at least four times this book warns us to not neglect our great salvation, but rather be vigilant to fight the good fight of faith every single day, lest we become hardened in our heart and abandon our faith. And in this passage that we just read, we are called to hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. Because, you know, sometimes in trial, as they were going through trial, you know, it may make us waver a little bit. But he says we need to hold tightly without wavering. And this is a command, and it means that we need to be intentional about maintaining our faith, about holding tightly to our faith and our hope. The New Testament, the New Living Translation says, hold tightly to the hope that we affirm. Other, other versions say, to the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? It is our confession of the gospel, of our faith in the gospel. Remember what Romans 10, 9 says? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what is this confession of our hope? It is the confession of Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, the one who has redeemed us from our sin, the one who empowers us in the present by his spirit, and the one who is coming back to take us home to him, with him one day. As the old hymn writer aptly stated, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen. He is the confession of our hope. And we are called to deliberately and purposely hold tight without wavering to our hope, to the confession of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And without wavering means to stay true. It means to stand firm in our faith in a hostile world that continually opposes Christianity that opposes the work of God. And we need to stand firm and we need to be bold in our confession of faith. The truth is, it's not always easy to follow Christ. The Bible repeatedly tells us that we can expect opposition, we can expect trials, we can expect the attack of the enemy, we can expect difficulties, and we can expect persecution. Amen? And many of us will be tempted to give up, and that's where we're called to fight the good fight of faith, because it is a fight to hold tightly and unwavering to our hope in Christ. And that's where the second and third commands of Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 comes in. The first command is hold tightly. But the second commands tell us how to hold tightly. Obeying the first command, verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. That's the first command, but it de depends on obeying the second two commands in verses 24 and 25. Verses 24 and 25 again say, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So verse 23 is the what, hold tightly to your faith. Verses 24 and 25 are the how. If you do this, you will be able to hold tightly to your faith. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us, <clears throat> this is how you can stand unwavering in your faith, especially as the end approaches. 
And there are several vital principles in these two commands that will help us to fight the good fight of faith, to stand unwavering and hold fast to our hope in Christ. The first principle, we must meet together regularly to keep motivated and encouraged. We must meet together regularly to keep motivated and encouraged. Why? We need the support of other Christians to help us hold tightly and unwaveringly to our hope in Christ. Very simply put, we need each other. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And if you remember, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Amen? So he wasn't on it, uh, going about it by himself. But many people are under the misconception that the main purpose of the church is just to sing songs, hear a sermon, and go home. You often hear people say, salvation is a personal matter. And yes, each of us has to make a personal decision to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Each of us has to personally repent of our sins. Each of us needs to cultivate a personal relationship with Christ. But if you study the Bible carefully, you will realize that God never intended salvation to be a personal matter. When he saved us, we were born again into a family, the family of God. He places us in, the, in a community of faith, in a community of his children called the church, so that we can have fellowship one with another. A while back, someone who was going through a hard time was talking to me about how now that their parents were gone, how difficult it was for them because she said, I'm an only child and I don't have the support of a family. But I want you to know something. God has no only children. Amen. When we're born again, we become a part of a great big family. God's family. And there is no shortage of brothers and sisters in Christ in his family. God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. And we are commanded to participate in the fellowship of believers or the fellowship of saints. You know, the word fellowship in the Bible means to, in in Greek, is koinonia, and it means to share the common life. The life that we share is the life of Christ. Because you can go to work and, and you can be out in the community and what have you. But if people don't know Christ, there's not a whole lot of common ground there, right? But you can meet a fellow believer and within minutes you immediately feel that connection, right? Because we have that common life in Christ, that life of faith. And that's the the bond that uh, brings us together. Our confession of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ binds us together as the family of God. But just as in our biological families, just because we have the same DNA doesn't mean that we'll have close relationships. Amen? We have to put forth effort in our natural families to build close and intimate relationship. And the same is true in our spiritual families. And sometimes in our natural families, we have some people that are not the easiest to get along with. Amen. I know by personal experience, I have some in my family. Amen. And it takes a lot of effort to have any kind of relationship with them because it's a challenge. Amen. And in the body of Christ, we're not all perfect. Amen. And in the body of Christ, there's people with different personalities. 
And there are people at different stages in their Christian walk, so they may still have a lot of the flesh that's alive inside of them, and it may be challenging. But we are still called, amen, to put forth the effort to build relationships within the body of Christ. Because we have the same spiritual DNA. We have all been born of the same spirit. We all have the same father. And, and we need to work to build those close-knit relationships so that we will uh, have that, that brotherhood of believers in the body of Christ. And that's why in verse 25, we are commanded to not neglect our meeting together as some people do, especially as the day of Christ approaches. I think it's so amazing that here is a passage of scripture that of course had immediate application to uh, believers that were uh, you know, stopping to gather together. But also, he's talking about the end time. And I just, you know, kind of believe that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God revealed to him some of the trends that would be taking place in the end times. People falling away from faith. People neglecting to gather together because they're choosing rather to stay home and watch. Hallelujah. But he commands us to not neglect our meeting together as some people do. And that word meeting together or assembling is eposunugagin, and it is the root word of synagogue. And it really literally means to gather together. The synagogue was the gathering together of Jews in a particular locale similar to a local church where we gather together with fellow believers in the Christian faith. The synagogue was both the spiritual and social center of the Jewish community. It was the place where they gathered together for prayer, for the study of the scripture, uh, to socialize with one another. They ate meals, they broke bread together, and they did works of service. They did uh, works to, to help others. But it was also a place where they gathered as a community to build relationships with one another. Of course, the writer of Hebrews was speaking to Jewish Christians, so when he used the Greek word for synagogue, they immediately understood what it meant. It meant to gather together with fellow believers. And he was saying, don't neglect your synagoguing together. In other words, don't neglect your local gathering together of believers in your church. So he gives us a command to gather together and fellowship with others who have been saved by faith in Jesus and that the local synagogue, the local gathering together should become central to our life, not only spiritually, but also socially. So today, a lot of the benefits of the church um, cannot be experienced, can be experienced apart from the church, right? Some of the benefits of the church can be experienced apart from the church. We can access the best worship teams and the best preaching and teaching online 24-7. Am I right? And that's some of the benefits of the church. We can have our pick of some of the best preachers in the world. The only problem is you don't have a relationship with them. They don't have a relationship with you. They don't know what's going on in your life. There's no accountability for you, and there's no accountability for them because you don't know how they're living. Amen? And when you're going through something, are you going to pick up the phone, and are they going to come and pray for you by your, your hospital bed, or are they going to come and counsel you? Hallelujah. Where will they be when you're going through a trial? Where are those people that you see so fervently worshiping on the screen. 
You know, you, you see some of these wonderful worship bands, and I'm not saying all of them, but I know I was at a workshop several years ago, and it was one of the big mega churches. They had their worship pastor um, speaking and, and training other people in worship leading, and he made this comment that just absolutely shocked me. He said, in the church, we ought to have the best music there is. And where do you find the best musicians? He said, you find them playing in the bars on Friday and Saturday night. He said, so you need to hire those musicians to come and play in the church. I was so shocked and so grieved. Why? Because he's not even giving consideration to whether they're saved, which if they're saved, I cannot see them wanting to be playing in the environment of a bar and all that goes on there. He's not giving any consideration to the holiness of their life because to minister up here is a priesthood unto the Lord. And you have to, you have to be a holy vessel unto God in order for him to anoint you. But he, he was thinking just in terms of we want the best quality music, so we have to hire the best musicians, you know, regardless of their spirituality or not. And so sometimes you watch these, you know, big-time churches or whatever, and you have no idea the lifestyle of those that are leading you in their beautiful worship and what spirit is anointing their life because it may not be the Holy Spirit. So, you know, there, there's no accountability there. There's no relationship. There's no, no uh, connection there. And, and, and not only when we need uh, the, the, the local pastor or preacher in, in a time of tribal, but we also miss out on the joy of fellowship just by watching on TV and not coming to church. The joy of sharing our life with people of like faith. There's one scripture in Acts chapter two which talks about how the early church not only met together on Sunday in those big meetings, but they also met together during the week and from house to house and they broke bread together. And it says, and they were filled with great gladness. Folks, there's a joy in sharing our lives together. There's a joy in fellowshipping together, amen, in, in the rich, rich social interactions that we share. And when we isolate ourselves from the church, we're not only robbing ourselves, but we're also robbing others of the gifts that God has placed in us to minister to them, amen? And just your presence in worship can bring encouragement to someone else. They see you worshiping. They see God touching your life, and it encouraged them as well. Anybody ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Amen. He wrote books like The Cost of Discipleship and Life Together. And of course, we know that he was um, martyred, uh, killed during the Nazi regime, regime because of his opposition uh, to Nazi Germany. He was a minister, a Christian minister. And he was a part of an underground semi uh, seminary where they risked their lives to meet together when the Nazi regime had um, made it uh, uh, illegal for them to gather. But they would find these secretive meeting places and they would all you know, come you know, incognito and they would risk their lives to really gather together. And he writes this, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. He says, to be saved is to be gathered. A Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again, and, and he becomes uncertain or discouraged or by himself. He cannot help himself. 
This was how much they regarded the, the need to gather together, that they were literally willing to risk their lives together as the church. What keeps us from gathering today? Hallelujah. That's an open-ended question. Praise you, Jesus. Second principle, we must be more committed to one another as the end draws near. That's what he told us. He says, as the day approaches, the day of Christ's return, we must be careful to not slip into the habit of neglecting our meeting together as the end draws near. The day of Christ's coming, I believe, is near at hand. I believe that we will see it in our generation. And the Bible tells us that there will be increased satanic activity. The Bible says that Satan, knowing his time is short, is going to come down with a fury. The Bible says there will be greater evil, that there will be greater persecution, greater threats to our faith. Amen? And that's why we need to take the words of Hebrews 10, 25 very seriously in our day and not forsake or neglect our meeting together. You know, some people have become comfortable staying at home and watching online. I understand if you have a health issue or transportation. I understand that. But, but, but you know, we cannot make that a habit if we have the ability to come out. Amen. Some may have missed several weeks of service due to a legitimate reason at first at first but then it becomes easier more comfortable to just continue missing church and so missing church becomes a habit a bad habit amen and it happened in the new testament church that's why the writer of hebrews is is, is writing this message maybe some were staying away from church due to persecution you know, they, they didn't want to gather together and be identified as a follower of Christ because they were afraid they were. So that could have been a legitimate reason. But whatever the reason, we need to avoid getting into the habit of neglecting gather, to gather together with our fellow believers. Remember, the church is God's idea. And when we don't meet as he commands, then we are living outside of his will. Secondly, we must be intentional in thinking about ways to motivate one another to love and good works. Let's come to church, yes. Let's worship and sing together, yes. Let's listen to the preaching of God's word with an open heart. But let us also go beyond to build relationships with one another. If you notice, he several times in this passage spoke about one anothering. Amen? Let us provoke one another. Let us encourage one another. There's a ministry of one anothering. Go through the New Testament and read how many one anothers there are. So we have an essential ministry to one another. And he says in verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate or encourage one another to acts of love and good works. Some versions say consider ways. But the word means to fix your mind on, to give careful attention to. So he says, you know, this is not just something that happens by accident. This is something that you have to focus intentionally on doing. So we need to be on the lookout for specific ways that we can motivate one another to gather together, that we can motivate one another in faith, that we can encourage one another to, uh, in love, that we, you know, to love one another, and that we can encourage one another in good, work, in good works. And the word translated as motivate means to incite or provoke. 
You know what the word provoke is? Have you ever seen two kids? And, 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 and one, of them, one of them is like poking the other one. And at first the other one, you know, kind of ignores it. And then he pokes again. And, and the other one ignores And he keeps poking until the other one gets provoked, you know. And, and, and maybe turns around and socks it back and stuff. But that's the concept of provoking, right? And so he's telling us we actually need to provoke one another to love to love each other, and we need to provoke one another uh, to good works. And to illustrate the meaning of, of provoking, uh, one writer used the image of shaking up a hornet's nest. You hit the nest, and the hornets are provoked. They quickly get stirred up to action. And if you're not careful, you're going to get stung. Amen? But he's saying that's what we need to do for each other. We need to, we need to do not so much the hitting part, but, but we need to do the stirring up part. Amen? We need to think of ways that we can stir each other up to acts of love and good works. And some of the ways that we can motivate one another uh, uh, starts with taking advantage of the time before and after service. Don't just come rushing in and rushing out of service, but stop before and after and meet and talk with people. So I give you an assignment tonight. Don't just rush out of the service, but talk to somebody for at least one minute that you don't normally talk to. Hallelujah. We got to put feet to our faith, amen? We have to actually put it into practice. And don't do it just tonight. Do it every service, amen? But make a meaningful contact with one another. Many meaningful relationships started uh, in the aisles of the church, in the hallway of the church, in the garden area of the church, in the parking lot. You know, uh, sometimes when, when people are hanging out in the parking lot, and I love to see people starting to do that more again uh, since uh, the COVID uh, situation, but we see people hanging out outside after the services, particularly on Sunday morning. Uh, uh, but, but we used to jokingly call it parking lot ministry. You know, because that's where, you know, you start to build relationships uh, with one another. And so stick around. Don't just rush in and rush out and begin to initiate conversations with other people. And by you reaching out, you're going to motivate others to reach out and do the same. Amen. Then beyond coming before and after the services, pick up the phone and reach out to someone during the week. All you have to say is, hi. Hi. How are you doing? I was thinking about you. Amen? Can we all do that? Amen? Hi, how are you doing? I was thinking about you. And if they're going through something, offer to pray with them right there on the phone or give them an encouraging word. One day, it may be you in need of that phone call. And by doing it for others, you are inspiring others to do it for you as well. Amen? Another thing that you can do, because again, we're putting feet to our faith, amen? We're, we're, we're looking at practical ways that we can apply this passage. Use something that <clears throat> in many ways has become obsolete, but it's still very important. It's called the mailbox. You remember what that is, right? It's something out in front of your house, and you can put letters in it, and the mailman will come by and pick it up. Remember? All right? What do I mean use the mailbox? Drop someone a handwritten note or card of encouragement. Now, I know we live in a day of electronic communication, and I encourage you to use texts and emails and direct messages to connect and encourage one, and I use all of those things as well, but there's nothing quite like receiving a handwritten message, amen? 
In fact, the Saturday Evening Post ran an article not too long ago titled The Return of the Handwritten Letter. And it said, in this day of electronic communication, the handwritten message had for a time been neglected. But it is making a return even among the younger generation. And it went on to explain the revival of letters and the author, uh, Laura Stickney, um, she said that, speaking of young women, a poll of research had been done among young women in college and she observed that part of what makes receiving a letter so special is the fact that someone took the time to actually sit down and write you a message. The article explains that handwritten messages are more passionate, personal, and brimming with emotion. Amen? So write somebody an encouraging card. And the good thing about sending somebody an encouraging card is that the words that you put in there, the words of encouragement, they can go back and read it again. That's a beautiful thing about actually written. I mean, you can do that with text, I guess, you know. But after a while, the feed of text goes up. But if you have that card there, there are some cards and some letters that I have saved through the years that sometimes I, I, have, a, I have an encouragement file. Amen. And sometimes, you know, when I need a little bit of encouragement, I just go back and pull one of those out of the encouragement file. And I say, praise God. Praise God for that. Amen. So be aware of when someone is going through a personal trial and be there for them. That's another way we can apply this verse. I call it the ministry of presence. Job, when he was going through his trial, he needed the ministry of presence, right? And so uh, three of his friends showed up and they just offered him the ministry of presence for the first seven days. And I'm sure it brought a lot of encouragement to them, to him. And they were doing well for those first seven days until they opened their mouth and started saying, Brother Job, you know, something must be wrong while you're going through all this trouble. So, you know, let's not follow that part of their example, <laughs> but let's follow the example where they offered to him the ministry of presence and let's be there for one another. All you have to do is show up and say, I'm here for you. And sometimes that might mean sitting in silence don't let that make you feel awkward. Sometimes it might just be a, a, a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, someone to hold uh, their hand, someone to pray for them. But just offer to them the ministry of presence. These are all ways that we can help to fulfill this passage of Scripture to encourage one another. Another way is to share mutual interests. A great way to build the bonds of relationship and to help others not feel, feel alone is to share mutual interests. So what do you like doing? Some people might like sports, fishing, shopping, eating out. Find others that like to do that too and share those activities because most often our relationships are built around sharing experiences, sharing activities that we enjoy together. Amen? So it's a great way to reach out and build. And then, admit your own need. We all go through times of trial, and the natural tendency when we are going through difficulty is to isolate our 
ourselves. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that particularly uh, with Elijah. Remember, you know, he has this great, uh, powerful experience of God on the mountain, and God sends fire from heaven, and then he prays, and God restores the rain. But then uh, Jezebel says, you better watch out because I'm sending my men after you and by tomorrow the, the dogs are going to lick be licking your blood up off the ground. And so he takes off running. He put on his Holy Ghost sneakers. He takes off running. I believe he ran about 17 miles in one day. Then he throws himself down under a tree and he said, God, just kill me now. You know, and then God sends an angel to minister to him. And then what does he do? He goes and starts hiding out in a cave isolating himself and saying it's only me I'm the only one left that's faithful to you oh God you know and, and he's just isolating himself you know he's going to set up a church in the cave and it's going to be called first bat assembly of God because the only people attending are going to be the bats in the cave <laughs> amen and, and 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 he's there in the cave and then what does God do he comes and he calls him out of the cave amen and he sends him back to his mission. But Satan likes to try to get us to isolate ourselves when we are going through problems because when we isolate ourselves, we become weakened. There's no one around us to encourage us. And so we become vulnerable to the enemy's attack of doubt and loneliness and feeling that God doesn't love us and God has abandoned us. And when we feel most like isolating ourselves is when we need most to reach out. When we feel least like coming to church is when we need most to come to church. Listen to me, folks. Listen to me. That's when we need the family of God to surround us. And that's when we need others to encourage us. Amen. And we all need that. The Christian life of faith and love cannot be successfully lived in isolation. Going back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. We need each other. We strengthen one another. We encourage one another. And it brings great joy to our lives when we share our lives in Christian fellowship. This is why the writer of Hebrew tells us, meet together, meet together. Meet in church, but also meet in homes, meet for coffee, meet in a restaurant, but meet together and strengthen and encourage one another in your faith. So tonight, as we conclude, I wanna encourage everybody to make a fresh commitment to meet together regularly with our church family inside and outside of church, especially as we see the end drawing near. And let us be committed to help motivate and encourage one another in love and in good works. If that's your heart's desire, would you stand to your feet right where you are? Even if you're at home, stand to your feet and make this commitment to meet together as frequently as you can. Let's lift our voices and respond to the Lord. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because your word is able to make us wise to live out our salvation. Father, we thank you tonight for the wise counsel of your word that tells us that we need each other and that we must not forsake the fellowshipping of ourselves together, but we must encourage one another and motivate one another all the more as the end draws near. So tonight in faith and in obedience to your word, Lord God, we say to you, we make a fresh commitment, Lord, to be connected to the family of God. We make a fresh commitment, Lord God, to reach out and build relationships with one another, Lord God. We make a fresh commitment, Lord, to be encouragers of one another, to find ways, Lord God, to encourage each other, Lord, in our faith. Father, we make this commitment to you tonight, and we ask the help of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to be able to live it out so that we can be strengthened in our faith and that we can hold firm until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us online and have a blessed rest of your week. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you. And we hope you will join us again.